you were ready to go? Uh, what are we talking about? Chapter what is, ten. What is this? Is this when when Harry meets <laughs> meets Snape? <laughs> Welcome to All Rings Considered. <laughs> this is episode ten. We have actually made it to ten episodes, or eleven if you count the intro, and that's an exciting landmark. Congratulations. Yeah, good job, us. <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at book one, chapter 10, Strider, in this episode. And I want to start off, actually, with some Lord of the Rings news that I said Lord of the Rings was kind of being discussed over the past couple weeks. Not not so much directly or exclusively, but on, I don't know if you saw this, bit, but on the Twitter universe, Twitter world, GQ put out this article on their website about 20 books, excuse me, 21 books, 21 books you don't have to read, huh. and 21 you should read instead, and I feel like this is the most clickbait, buzzfeed nonsense of all time, and yes, for some reason this was being discussed on Twitter a lot, and so I did end up reading it, and of course, our favorite book was in fact present here. They did say that uh, one book you should not read is The Lord of the Rings. And the contributor who wrote the blurb for this, he says, quote, I liked The Hobbit a lot. But while Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books are influential as exercises in world building, as novels, they are barely readable. Mm. It never seemed to me that Tolkien cared about his story as much as he cared about rendering in minute detail the world he built. And that's basically all he says about the Lord of the Rings. He then goes on to say what he recommends instead, which are the... The Bernstein Bears. Um, you could read Cat in the Hat. Well, the, it, or... It, you know, any children's book really would be easier to read than... It, that's exactly where I'm going with this. Because why does he... It, you see this so often online with critics of this book. None of them actually engage with the text itself, and or in, at least on an authentic way. And they almost always try and sort of shield themselves a little bit by saying, oh, but don't worry, guys, I liked The Hobbit. Or maybe they think like that makes their criticism more authentic. But I think it's the exact opposite. I mean, I'm thinking like, oh, great. I'm glad you like children's novels. I'm <laughs> glad you're capable of reading children's novels and that you're really struggling to read not children's novels. Because that's what it sounds like, right? Right. I mentioned that jokingly in one of our episodes about the movies, which far listeners are not currently on iTunes, but maybe one day we will get them back up there. I did mention that sort of half jokingly, but it was it still frustrates me to see this come up again in the year of our Lord, 2018. This is still It's 2018, guys. You should just read the Lord of the Rings. I think you should (laughs) and engage with it though on an authentic level, I guess is my point. It just doesn't seem like any of these criticisms that was actually bothering to do a close read of the book and actually think about the text and instead are just, well, God, it's really hard. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like, it's, it's just hard. This is hard to read. Yeah, I yeah. think that's kind of the, you know, I, I am right there with you. And I have this, like, the same feeling where it's that criticisms of this book so often are from people who you can just tell they actually haven't read it or they mm. did not they did not make it past uh, chapter six. Yeah. And I feel like it's, you and I have been pretty fair on this podcast, too. We point out a couple of moments here in book one where we said, hey, I could totally see somebody checking out at this point. Yeah, book. Like, if you don't like these... The Lord of the Rings, that's there's plenty of reasons why you might not care for it. Um, yeah. But it's it's completely different if it's uh, 
a criticism of the work and versus a I'm not exactly sure what to say there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I really think I really think there is just no legitimate basis to sit here and say that as novels they are barely readable. There's no way this you can honestly read this prose and read this writing and tell me, oh, this isn't even readable. I mean, come on, we're, we're ten episodes into this. We've been able to pick out great lines from every single chapter, and they've all been very readable. I mean, I don't, there's nothing here crazy. I'm just not sure what what that ever means, and and that comes up a lot. And again, it's almost always paired with, oh, but don't worry, I love The Hobbit, and so to me, it just comes across as, oh, you just don't know how to read. <laughs> Like you're getting there where you know you're gonna pass the star test or whatever children these <laughs> days in public schools i don't know then now i sound like the elitist but i don't know I, I get frustrated with with a lack of actual engagement with this book uh at least by its critics well i think it's perhaps part of this sort of it's this it's a combination of anti-intellectualism culture and clickbait culture where the thing to do is just say the opposite where it's yeah. like, and then you get clicks or you're seen as like, you can pretend to be more intelligent than everyone else because actually you know the real thing. Where like, it could be as ridiculous as saying like, like actually, murder is good. It's like, wow, that's, I'm woke. <laughs> right? That's basically exactly yep, yeah. what I see. Um, uh, but anyway. I like, did you just equate people who are pro-murder with people who are <laughs> I think it's the same thing. <laughs> Um, but anyway, chapter 10, <clears throat> Strider. Chapter 10, yeah, I guess I should summarize this. So what we, what we left off here, chapter 9, the hobbits were in the Prancing Pony, the inn at Bree. They had a bit of an accident. Frodo accidentally puts the ring on. Not good. They're surrounded by some sketchy people who notice this, and they leave the inn. And they go back to their parlor room that's been reser- reserved for them. And in there is Strider, this man they met in the previous chapter who is just He's a ranger, they say, and so that means he wanders around the wilderness. He is sitting by himself and being altogether kind of suspicious, but he says he's going to talk with Frodo, and so he is now in their private parlor room, and they get to have their talk. And according to CliffsNotes.com, in their lovely little succinct summary, they say that Strider, in this parlor room, warns the hobbits that the Black Riders will soon hear of Frodo's stunt and offers to go with them as a wilderness guide. While the hobbits are still contemplating this offer, put off by a scruffy appearance, Butterbur the innkeeper arrives with a letter from Gandalf that should have been sent weeks earlier. The letter urges Frodo to leave the Shire immediately, and identifies Strider as a friend to be trusted. Mary suddenly bursts in with news that a black rider is in town, and they decide not to sleep in their rooms that night. And so that's chapter 10. It's... Definitely, it's all in one room. There's no action outside of that room. It's very much just a conversation kind of chapter. Tolkien definitely relies on that device a good bit. We've seen it in chapter two. We saw it in, I think it was chapter seven, House of Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. He, he'll do this kind of thing where everything goes sort of to one room or to one house and just stays there the whole chapter and everyone's just talking, which I think I think is, I think it's nice. I think it's, I could see how somebody who might be critical of the book not like that way of doing things but i think it's i think it's effective i think true storytelling can really come across in dialogue and uh, i think it's a lesser author who wants to always rely on constant action or constant movement to get things going and not just the conversations between the characters so yeah i think this is a good chapter i do agree with you about that 
having this chapter where it's still set in just one location, you do go to a lot of other places through the conversation. Places physically, like the mention of Mordor just being this terrifying experience, just having the name said aloud, but also through time, where you see that characters reminiscing or alluding to periods of time throughout their lives that are that you don't actually see explicitly in that's true it, it's um you know you your mention of the sort of terror of mordor and that instilling fear reminds me of something i made a note of in this chapter when i read it right toward the beginning is aragorn talking about not mordor this case but he's talking about the the black riders and i read this passage and i put a giant question mark in my margin next to it because i i was really confused Aragorn's talking about them, and he says, I'm on page 165 here, and I know the edition you and I both have, which, just for our listeners at home, that's just the uh, standard, the 50th anniversary one-volume paperback. Aragorn says, about the Black Riders, he says, they will call on you in the wild, you wish them to find you, they're terrible. But then what's interesting to me is what he says right after that, where he says, well, it says that the hobbits looked at him and saw with surprise that his face was drawn as if with pain. In his hands clenched the arm of his chair. The room was very quiet and still, and the light seemed to have grown dim. For a while he sat with unseeing eyes, as if walking in distant memory, or listening to sounds in the night far away. There, he cried after a moment, drawing his hand across his brow. Perhaps I know more about these pursuers than you do. You fear them, but you do not fear them enough. And that's the part I actually put this question mark by, because, to my understanding... Aragorn has not had to interact with the Nine, the Black Riders, to this point in his life. But he, this sounds like he sounds like he has, which I thought was interesting. And I just left that aside. I didn't think anything of it. Later, I was reviewing the chapter in the Lord of the Rings Reader's Companion about this chapter. And they made the note that they actually noted this little section as well. And they actually said this was a remnant of an earlier draft of the chapter. And that made sense to me because if you read Christopher Tolkien's History of Middle-Earth series, he has these volumes about Lord of the Rings that basically they're histories of how it was written and all the drafts it went through. And in the earliest drafts, Aragorn was not Aragorn, but he was this hobbit named Trotter hmm. who had been captured by Mordor, had been tortured there. He had to wear wooden shoes on his feet because they tortured his feet. And so what this line is, it's a remnant of Trotter. It's a remnant of Trotter remembering being uh, tortured that has just hmm. sort of snuck its way back in. And I, I was struck, there were a couple other instances, I didn't mark them all, but there were a couple of other instances in this chapter of that happening, of these old lines from these previous drafts of Trotter still showing up here that maybe don't actually logically make sense. And they're all little things. They don't affect the narrative in a significant way, but... I think that's interesting. But I do like this line. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that we're starting to see this is one of those points where Tolkien had to go back and revise a lot. And um, hmm. there, may, there may be some interesting leftover bits here and there. Because prior, we haven't seen that prior to this, really. Prior to this, it's all pretty... He wrote it and it was done. This was the first one, first moment he really had to go back and change up. I, will, I want to say something about that line, though. Mm -hmm. um, kind of a totally different point. But the, you know, the whole question mark experience of saying, of seeing this sort of reaction that Strider has and then having that question in your mind, oh, is there some part of the story that I don't know? I think Tolkien does that really well with um, both his world building, 
where you are believing that this is a huge world with many things to explore, even if you don't have the chance to experience all of it, but also with the experiences that the individual stories of these characters. You'll see that kind of often where characters will have a reaction as if they're remembering something. And uh, I think we saw that with Bombadil, too, a couple chapters ago. Yeah. Did you know, speaking of Bombadil, did you notice Aragorn knows Bombadil? I thought that was interesting when he says he was spying on the hobbits mm-hmm. earlier. He's able to say, oh, old Bombadil and stuff. I was with you. And I think that's interesting. Bombadil's circle of friends is bigger than you would think, right? I mean, Bombadil knows mm-hmm. Farmer Maggot. We hadn't talked about this much, but he knows Farmer Maggot. He knows Butterbur. And apparently knows Aragorn. At least Aragorn knows him. That's it's a curious and that's a curious trend of who he knows. It's always good people. If you're connected with how the world works, really, you seem to know Bombadil mm-hmm. at least in these parts. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, that is interesting. That it's some sort of, at least from the way we were kind of reading Bombadil, it's sort of a a connection between people being good and then understanding the world. So I had one thing I wanted to bring up for this chapter. Um, something like big thematically is that we see a couple transitions for individual characters going from one mode of being to another. And kind of the two that I wanted to point out were um, kind of the most obvious, Strider revealing himself as Aragorn, where previously Strider is this, you know, seen as this, you know, he's a rogue and he's, you know, looks foul and is startling, you know, Butterbur and calling him fat and such. But right. then, you know, he he, he says, uh, you know, if I was after the ring, I could have it now. And he, he stands mm-hmm. up. And just like in a chapter that we'll see in, I think it's in the uh, third book, he stands up and he seems to grow taller and his eyes gleam. And, you know, he says, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm Aragorn. And so you see that transition. That one's kind of obvious. But there's another one I think is interesting is uh, Gandalf has a similar transition. In the last chapter... And or maybe it wasn't. No, it was actually uh, it was many chapters ago. And in this chapter, um, when Butterbur is talking about Gandalf and the hobbits are discussing Gandalf, they see him as this magician, and they see him. They say things like, "Oh, like you know, don't turn me into a toad." And you know, Gandalf actually considers it. Butterbur says that he's afraid of Gandalf turning him into a block of wood for you know not delivering his letter on time. And then you have a line. It's actually my favorite line in this chapter, where Frodo is talking to Strider after he discovers Gandalf has been missing, and he says, but what can have happened to Gandalf? He writes as if he were going into great danger, and Strider says, he has been doing that for many years. Now, that's kind of a reveal, too. Strider later on says that Gandalf is greater than you, Shire Folk, know. As a rule, you can only see his jokes and toys, but this business, business of ours will be his greatest task. And so you have had this reveal, too, of Gandalf going from this, you know, grumpy old magician into more of what he really is. Great transition there, too, from The Hobbit to Lord of the Rings, where he is clearly very powerful in The Hobbit, but you're still not fully aware of just how important he is. And he's made much more important in Lord of the Rings, but you have to sort of transition into that. We've talked about that as a running theme in these chapters of how Tolkien handles the narrative transition from one book to this one. Hmm. And I think that's a good example of it. So a few notes I had on this, I think all that's fantastic about the character transitions. And I want to actually build on something you said where you mentioned Strider's transition to sort of from his threatening scruffy self to something greater. And I just want to say that's my my favorite line is something you pointed out when he says, well, when he has that moment when he says, if I wanted the ring, I could have it. 
now. And he's very threatening in that moment, right? Mm, right. And then he says he looks down at them with his face softened by a sudden smile. And all he says is this. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and if by life or death I can save you, I will. Love that line for the reasons you said, as well as it really hit me the gravity of what he just promised. Think about this. This guy is the heir to Gondor. I mean, this guy is the last of the Numenorians. This guy might, if there is a single most important human being in Middle-earth, this is him, right? But in this moment, in this dingy, dark room, in this small town, in the middle of nowhere, talking to these hobbits, he says, if by life or death I can save you, I will. And That's what powerful. a powerful, yeah, what a power, I mean, what a powerful moment of humbling of the greatest person on earth <laughs> into, you know what, I'm, he will do anything to protect these guys. Well, I think that's really cool moment. Yeah, I like that, and I think it's actually kind of a comment to what makes him great is that he's faced with. I mean, like you said, he could have the ring now, and so he's faced with you know perhaps the greatest temptation. And what does the greatest person in the world do, according to Tolkien? It's service. Let's see. I do have something, maybe a little bit of heresy here. But I think this chapter, kind of what we've been talking about, kind of brings up what I think. I've been saying this for a while. I think the Lord of the Rings is a really good fit. I think it would be a really great anime or manga. And that sounds funny, but but hear me out. And we are not. We're not. <laughs> we're not no, no, no. no. Um, but here's why. In this story, representation is not literal. You have so many instances of characters. Like in in this, uh, Aragorn, when Butterbur comes in, he he slinks into the darkness, and then he's he's invisible for all intents and purposes. He we have so many instances of when characters are declaring themselves and becoming who they are. They stand up and they seem to grow taller, and there's light about them, and you know their eyes gleam fire, those sorts of things. And I think just the type of representations that are in myth fit very well to that those two media. I, I just wanted to tell that to somebody for such a long time <laughs> to get that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could be here for you. <laughs> so, the end for that. Well, that's as good a place as any, I think, right? to end our episode here. And we'll, we will pick up next week with Chapter 11, A Knife in the Dark. Cool.